they are necessary. There are a lot of things that we consider in life that are important. And rightfully so. But what about the things that are necessary? And especially, especially those things that are necessary when it comes to our spiritual well-being. I guess as, as I take time to play in the shop on occasions, I understand that there are some things that are necessary. If you're, going, if you're going to put some pieces of wood together, you must have a way to do that. And everything isn't going to happen just as you wish it would happen. But it's necessary that you have the means by which to put screws into the wood or nails into the wood and glue to hold it together. And those things we would describe as necessary. So I think we understand that there are things in life that would, would fall into that category. But as we contemplate the spiritual nature of things this morning, because that's what, that's what we're here about. Um, we're not here about putting wooden boxes together. Um, but we're here to look at the Word of God. And so I want to share with you three facts to be believed about Jesus Christ first and foremost this morning. Three facts to be believed about Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of what John writes in the first uh, part of, of John chapter 1. Because he tells us that one of those facts is that Jesus lived. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says. And we have seen, we bear witness, we know that that is true. And so Jesus had a life. The scripture, of course, uh, it's interesting that the scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of information about Jesus' early life here on earth. It spends a great deal of time talking about his birth because that was rather spectacular. But it leaves us wondering for about 12 years. And then we find him in Jerusalem at the temple with his parents and his parents going on their way back home and after traveling for a while, recognize that Jesus isn't with the group of those who have come to Jerusalem to worship. And so they go back to Jerusalem to find him. And there they find him in the temple. 
conversing with those who are authority. Answering questions and asking questions. And the scripture says, that his parents wondered why they had done this to him. And he said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? A very simple statement says, these were treasures that were put into the heart, in the memory. So he had a life. And so we see him in his birth. We see him at 12 years old. And then we see him again coming to John to be baptized in the Jordan River. And beginning his ministry. That lasted for just a few short years. And then we come to another fact to be believed about Jesus. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. And this is what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Well, the gospel writers spend a good deal of time talking about the last period of time that Jesus had here on earth and the events that surrounded the cross and surrounded, of course, his death. The death of Jesus, as well as the resurrection of Jesus, and his life in itself are things, are facts that are necessary for us to believe. And so when it comes to his resurrection, we would be reminded by Paul in the same chapter of 1 Corinthians, this time verse 17, and he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. And then if you would notice verse 4, following verse 3 that we read earlier, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so, facts. And I guess, uh, you know, there's enough material here in this book that we could... Um, 
We could spend all morning on just those three, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But I want, to, want you this morning to underline in your mind the significance and the necessity of these things for you. And so the one who we have this information about and we're given instructions to, to believe him, there are some requests that he makes to us that we need to take seriously. And the first one would be that we have faith. that we have faith. The scriptures do us some good service in helping us to understand it. Because the Hebrew writer would describe to us what it is. And he would tell us that Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things yet seen. And we would also be reminded by Paul how we get it. The book of Romans the Apostle Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Chapter 10, verse 17. And then we would be reminded by the Hebrew writer <clears throat> just so that we remember and can think seriously about how necessary it is that we have it. And he would tell us this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So one of the requests to be taken seriously by all of us is that we have faith. But not only do we need faith, but we also need the courage to obey it. So in Matthew chapter 7, And beginning at verse 21, Jesus himself is speaking in what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will 
of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's which they practiced was the fact that they did not believe. And as a result of not believing, they did not obey. And so, when we think about the requests to be taken seriously, we need to be reminded of the importance of faith and the importance of being obedient. But the third thing that I want you to think about this morning that we need to take seriously is the fact that we need to not only obey, but we need to continue in a relationship with God. And so John, John uses the word abide. And he does it in chapter 15 of his gospel. And there, of course, are several, <clears throat> are several times in this chapter that he uses the word. But I want you to notice with me from verse 4 through verse 6 as we think about the importance of, of and the necessity of abiding. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. It's interesting to me, and I have likely uh, shared this before with you, but I'll share it again. The word that we get abide from is the same root word as we get the word abode. And we don't use that word much to refer to the place that we live, but that's the idea. The idea of abiding is the same idea of taking up residence. That's where I live. I live in a relationship with God through Christ my Lord. And I want to stay there. 
as long as I live. Because I want to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And although I find it, find the requests that he gives to take seriously, such as having faith and such as obey, obeying, I recognize that those are steps along the way to taking up residence and abiding in a relationship with God through his Son. And they are necessary. I want to share with you some promises to be enjoyed. The, the scripture is, is full of a lot of requests that God, through his wisdom, wanted to share with those who would be his people. But he also, he also gives us many promises to be enjoyed. And so, would you think with me about some of them this morning? We are introduced to one of them at the very, at the very foundation or at the very beginning of the Lord's church. When Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and begins to preach and to tell the people that were gathered together what they had done to God's Son, they recognized their guilt and they recognized what they had done. And they wanted to know what, we, what do we need to do now? <laughs> because, I mean, the deed has been done. And so in Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter says, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the promises for us to be enjoyed is the significance of forgiveness. <laughs> Forgiveness that we have received, but forgiveness that we have shared. Because somebody, someone out there needs to be forgiven by us. And forgiveness is one of those powerful promises from God to be enjoyed. And I, I trust this morning that you appreciate the fact that if you've been obedient to God and his will, that you have been forgiven. But the second thing that I want you to think about this morning 
in relationship to promises to be enjoyed comes to us from the words of the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings are ours to enjoy in Christ. And then we would go to John, the epistle of John, the first one, because he writes three. The first one in chapter 5 and verses 11 through 13, we are given another promise. A promise to look forward to and a promise to enjoy. And part of the enjoyment is the anticipation. Notice what he says. Beginning at verse 11, chapter 5. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So we could stop there and just concentrate on that one verse. John says, the witness is that God has given us eternal life. And how do we get it? It's in his son. Then in verse 12 he says, He who has the Son has the life. That's the eternal life. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. These things I have written to you that... Pardon me. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. When it comes to the blessing of having the word of God, and understanding who God is and who his son is, and who the spirit is, and the significance of our relationships. And when we have recognized that these things are necessary, we can with John say that we know we got eternal life. We know it. It's not an if or a maybe, but I know. And that 
That is a promise to be enjoyed. Well, I have a I have a three more passages that I want to share with you this morning to wrap up. First one comes to us from Titus chapter 3 and beginning at verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And finally, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Where John says, be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. There are things that are necessary. And we have shared a few with you this morning. But the few that we have shared are the difference between eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And so it's our choice. Are they necessary to you? Or are they not? Please contemplate on these things. <clears throat> 